Hello and welcome to season two of the world's most valuable business and technology podcast, Conversations Worth Millions. We'll be delving into hot topics like synthetic media, AI, intelligent automation, voice and chat, as well as Web3. In this episode, I chat with Martin Cookson from Cambridge Consultants, and we talk about how businesses and brands can get involved in Web3, privacy, trust, and digital service innovation. Let's go. Thanks for listening in. This is the first episode of Series 2 of Conversations Worth Millions. And this morning, I've got with us none other than the legend that is Mr. Martin Cookson. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Roy. Always like to speak to you. Great to be here. So myself and Martin know each other from uh, previous innovation projects in in some uh, unnamed big tech and get into later, I'm sure. But Martin's got a great track record and a ton of experience in loads of different innovation type projects. So very interested to have the conversation, touching on uh, what's happening around the world of metaverse and Web3, trust, privacy, what brands can do to get involved, service innovation, all sorts of interesting stuff. So Martin, maybe to kick off, how have you gotten to the point you've gotten to now in a nutshell? What's been your career path? Oh, that's interesting. Um, so I started in telco and um, building networks. And then in networks, we realized we could do it better with IT. I opened up the network. That took me to APIs into the wonderful world of open platforms that took me into a place where we were doing innovation. And and it's all, I think I got onto the, the, the frame from there. It's all about helping people to have user convenience. So me and you did stuff together in mobile apps and, and chatbots, but it's all about finding innovative ways to to help people get better solutions from technology. So I've gone from route from telco to big IT, American Oracle, to here where I am now in Cambridge Consultants, really at the heart of leading innovation from technology. Your current title is Director of Service Innovation at Cambridge mm-hmm. Consultants. So what, what's the general gist of that? How does that work? Yeah, so what, what we're all about is kind of recognise increasingly that things are connected, and I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. Things are smart because we've got things like AI, and things are increasingly autonomous. So when I talk about connecting, we're, we're really good at looking at things like sensors. So it could be everything from dispensing liquids and fluids to um, connecting to new types of devices and using things like um, low-orbiting or low satellites to looking at things which are autonomous, like drones um, uh, on the sea. And it's all about how we can connect them and build the digital services around that. So my colleague, for example, she talks about Product Plus. If you're selling Goop of some sort, how can you sell more Goop by adding digital services around it to improve the experience of doing that? Now, the innovation part and and why we're to say that is we tend to work with clients who've got ambition. So somebody's got really got a, a, a big problem or a big idea and really needs some sort of fundamental help to how to do those sorts of things. So it's digital servicing around, but hopefully one that should really kind of break through for the industry they're in and using this fact that we can do it. One of the things I talk a lot about digital and physical. It's how we can join across that part and do digital services in that space. In terms of the biggest challenges currently then because obviously we're in the world of of multiple touch points and we'll get into those i'm sure um what what are you seeing as challenges for the brands and businesses you're working with around that service piece so i think the thing about all the digital services it's all been about data 
Um, and as we know, we've we've kind of we've kind of enjoyed that. You know, you'd be using you know WhatsApp or, or Facebook or social media platforms or even Sonus at home. It's all about people have had access to your data, and you get great convenience as a consumer on on the benefit that they get access to data. So I think we we've hit a kind of um, a critical point with those, hang on a minute, that's my data that you're using. And we want a, a different type of deal in the way we build digital services to stop us getting to a situation where only a few companies have all the success, you know, the Facebook, the fangs, as we call them. And and yet the, there is some question where that data come from. So I think where we are now is just saying, well, let's build out digital services. But can we have a, a fairer, more equitable approach to the way we do that? And ask the question about whose data is it? And I think that takes me, or taking me at least, I think you as well, to Web3 um, as potentially a place where we can get a solution for this. Explain Web3 to me if I was a five-year-old. Yeah, and don't yeah. make any jokes about me <laughs> having a mental age of five either, by the way. No, no. And I'm far away from five, unfortunately, probably over 55. Um, so, um, so Web3, well, the best way to do it is to say what Web1 and Web2 was. Web1 was read. So we went under browsers. Web two was, you know, starting around about sort of 2005 with the sort of wikis when you could actually write back data. And that epoch took us all the way through to social media platforms and, you know, potentially sort of Donald Trump uh, disrupting um, democracy. So it's a big thing. Web three is about our ability to execute. Uh, so be able to make code executable so we can convert um, what are contracts into code but also a thing about ownership so that when you partake so when my um you know let's use my mom for example when she partakes in a particular service it's not just that she gives a data and she gets the utility of the service she actually could actually own part of that service and one of the best examples, I think, is like Audius, which is a new sort of web free platform for doing music streaming. So instead of Spotify sitting in the middle and sort of taking all the sort of revenue and only a few people, um, Ed Sheeran, I'm sure he's a, you're a fan of Ed Sheeran, right, um, um, <laughs> gets gets paid. But lots and lots of music creators don't. You know, so people have done all the work, all the content creators um, are not really getting rewarded for the approach. So Web3 allows us to have a different approach for ownership um, by the use of underneath underneath the covers is blockchain technology and many, many other layers. It's more than just blockchain. That's what we're about. So Web3 is another tool. We're not, we're not, we're not, not, not doing Web2 anymore, but we're adding Web3 into the mix. And it's about this ownership and execution that we've now got in the way that we build out new digital services. For those who maybe don't know. What, what's a what's a way into Web three? How how do you yeah. how do you touch it and feel it? What do you do? So if you're a business, we have lots of people, and I'm sure you see it as well. They'll come to us and say, "Oh, I've clicked. Data is the new thing. Data is really important. How can I monetize the data, leverage the data, and get insights or new values, hopefully for my customers' benefit?" So what we're saying with Web three is, hang on a minute, what's the data sovereignty? Which is a posh way of saying whose data is it. And if you go about looking at building the digital services in the same way, but you're now going to ask the question, whose data really is it? So if you're a brand, if you're a consumer brand, there will be data you own because you were involved in actually creating that data or through, either through data you had when you brought into it. And it could be content, you know, music, video, et cetera, or it could be data that you create as executing your service, what we call um, data exhaust. 
But actually, what you have to now do is respect that some of that data will be owned by the consumer. And I think if you start to think about that as who who data is it, then then we can then then it sort of moves you into using Web three as a way of actually um, rightly um, allocating that data and owning it. And um, then there are other mechanisms, but that's that's a good place to start. I think is to think about that, and it's about creating a new relationship of trust. Um, because as you know, when you've been working for years, um, um, Roy, with, with brands, it's all about delivering customer experience. And in 2022, if anything really brands really want or consumers want is to trust in people, you know, be it by politicians or believe in the way that companies work. If you can um, establish trust, I think it's a new way to get a better relationship with your with your customers. There's a lot of noise at the moment around uh, glued into one big kind of pot. You know, you've got you've got noise over here about cryptocurrency. You've got NFTs going from, you know, massive highs down to down to zero. There's a lot of talk about Ponzi schemes and, you know, mm. there's lots to unpick. So, so you say trust. Um, so trust in terms of data is one thing. But how about trust in terms of consumers wanting to get into involved in, in Web3 itself? So how do, how do brands kind of, you know, bridge that gap? Because it yeah. seems to be a missing gap in my mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think, I mean, one, one thing, for example, I think is interesting is about the power of community. And we've long talked about loyalty in, in, in brands and people doing things to help loyalty schemes to help people feel part of it. But what you could do with Web3 is really take that to the next stage where the, the loyalty is actually a new community where the people who are expressing interest in a brand can actually own part of the, the, the experience. So, for example, if you're, I don't know, if you've got a male grooming product um, and you want people to take get interest and, and understand them, they could actually get involved in um, a Web3 based community where um, they actually own and dictate the way that that community develops. You get you get better insights to the what they actually think and feel because they're more prepared to give you access to that data because they're in control of that data rather than, um, you know, somebody sitting in the middle and doing data lakes. Sometimes I think data lakes are a horrible idea that you actually suck in loads of data together that you don't actually know where it comes from to exploit. So brands through things like new loyalty schemes can do it. Another thing is uh, traceability. You know, where did it really come from? And people are more and more concerned about, you know, where their ingredients came from in a particular food product or, you know, was the was really no anti-slavery in this product so the authenticity of the ingredients of of uh, a product can also um, be interesting so that's you know brand being able to show that actually this this thing really did come from a, a farmer where the cotton in the product was actually you know was actually uh, not involved in any sort of fraud or mistreatment of workers so that's 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 one part another thing which is really interesting and this will probably get into this, is energy and sustainability. So where did my energy come from? Did it come from a sustainable source, you know, a local um, wind turbine, or did it come from a, you know, an oil-burning um, um, uh, station? So again, with Web3, you could, you could give people um, trust that the energy that they're consuming actually came from a source that they would then actually value. So I've, I've, I've jumped across a few industries there, but lots mm-hmm. of places where trust, traceability, and 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 moving into things about you know ethics of products is is what Web three can help deliver. Okay, so um, what's a what's a good Web three use case that either you've worked on or seen? What do you think? Uh, is anyone really nailing it and saying, okay, this is really interesting? 
um, across either, either either kind of community or or tokens or DApps? What what, what have mm. you seen? So one of the ones that we've been looking at particularly is I've mentioned already is energy. So um, if you imagine in, in the home that you start to um, consume energy and, for example, you, your, your house has got a connected tumble dryer and, and you've got a washing machine that's connected and you've got smart meters, all this starts to say that you can make an intelligent decisions about how you can maximize your energy. Now, at the same time as you're doing that, you could potentially give a lot of information out if you did it in the wrong way to what you're actually doing, because people could tell you know, when you're washing clothes, what type of worker you are, mm-hmm. um, how big your family is. So what we've, what we've done is we've tokenized energy. So when you consume a kilowatt hour of energy, you create an NFT for that, that energy. Okay. What you then do is that you're, you can then stay in control of that data but then use that that data and information with different types of service providers. Now, at the moment, you can't do this in the UK because we haven't got quite that dynamic energy market. But say if you've got that capability, you could then, for example, say, I want to change on an hour-by-hour basis where my energy comes from to make optimal decisions about the right type of energy type of pricing. So whereas we traditionally talk about cryptocurrency and all those sorts of things, this is well away from that. This is talking about creating NFTs for energy. Um, and again, we, we slightly deliberately do this because we're looking to do something different and new, but it shows you the power of, of the platform and it doesn't have to be digital assets. We can, can tokenize, that's a frame we talk about, talking about all sorts of consumption and, and digital assets. It does make sense, yeah. Just thinking um, for, for consumers out there and, and, and brands as well, um, who may have seen NFTs being being hyped over the last eighteen months and then crashing. How do you get around that when you're educating people around? It yeah. isn't just this massive, you know, hype marketing hype. There's actually yeah. there's actually some some value and return investment here as well. Yeah, I think. I mean, I was actually at the Web Summit in Lisbon the other week, and I heard somebody talk about that. You have to treat these things as long term assets. Um, and I don't think we should necessarily just go into this as a speculation. Um, NF- and the ability to actually um, control and have trust in ownership is a really useful thing. And it shouldn't be done for, um, you know, sort of short term training. I think you need to think about, you know, what, what things do you care about and how can I protect those things? Now, I've got a I've not actually had NFTs yet. Um, I've looked around and I don't think some of the... Um, you know, the board um, yacht thing. It doesn't quite float my boat in terms of artwork. Yeah. I try and be as thoughtful, but th- th- those, those are things that I don't value. But for example, um, if you're on an NFT, what about house ownership? How do you prove that you actually own your house? So why don't, so estate, um, um, you know, land registry could actually be transformed if you could actually have a st- um, um uh, an ownership, prove ownership of your house. So, as you know, Roy, increasingly the, the big thing that's going to come is the, your digital wallet. That's going to be an important mechanism. Wouldn't it be great if I could own my digital wallet and have all the assets? I could show the things that I own. I own, I own my house. Well, actually, I jointly own it with my wife, so I have to go to work out that part. But <laughs> cars, you know, and, you know, I, I actually think identity, I mean, that's obviously quite an important thing. But what we start to do is use NFTs to prove out the ownership of important assets. Now, I started to make the connection to physical assets. Increasingly, digital assets will be really key. And that, that's going to take into the metaverse. And um, now, 
I think some of us it's, are still struggling a little bit with what digital assets. But for example, somebody told, told me the other day that the son or daughter was like 12 years old. What's one for Christmas? And what he wanted was Roblox vouchers. They right. People really care about these sorts of, of things. So increasingly digital assets, be they avatars or skins, are mm-hmm. the things that people care about, as well as the physical assets of houses and energy, etc. And it's great that NFTs, although they've been used for sort of slightly trivial things so far, mm-hmm. um, um, will also be applied to physical assets and ownership and increasingly digital assets, um, which I don't, I, I think we, we are just at the start of that. You know, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Uh, It it, it tends to follow that cycle, isn't it? You know, first people laugh, then they kind of question query, and then they copy. You know, it it takes time in terms of adoption curve. Uh, And plus, you 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 need to see Roy AI. Haven't seen that yet. It's coming soon. So if you want to have NFTs, all of me basically got a massive ego. There's going to be me all over the internet, so watch out for that. Well, I mean, I mean, you're a fantastic creator, Roy. You should be rewarded for all the things that you you and your team create. We we need to have. Um, more recognition of the power of, of creation and this is a means to do that you know i, I you know it, obviously things like music but people are creating digital assets of value and we need to kind of making sure we've got the right um recognition for the, that creative element uh, you mentioned roblox earlier mm. so uh so i've got an 11 year old he's he's still just about into roblox just moving, mm. moving out of that phase but anyway we'll keep him there for a bit so roblox Fortnite, i think as well and a lot of those kind of really kind of engaging games are all what I would call Web 2, but they're proto-metaverses. Yeah. So there's a question in my mind, do you need Web 3 to have the metaverse? Because these are, they're not interoperable. Yeah. You can't go across them. You can't yeah. carry things currently, although there's lots of work in that space. Yeah. And so w- what's your take on that? Because I've had several conversations recently about that, which is that's yeah. brilliant, but people are getting confused between metaverse and Web 3 and what's yeah. currently possible in, in these yeah. massive uh, multiplayers that people are using currently. Yeah. One thing I'll just quickly say, though, you know, lots of people do say this, but where we are, relatively speaking, in Web 3 is like the dialogue nature of where Web 2 was. You know, we were still doing that, you know. Now, and you have to remember the first time that Web 2 came, it was like a wiki. I remember entering the first entry for my village into into the wiki. Oh, this is interesting. You know, 10 or 15 years forward, you know, it it drives the economy. You know, it shapes politics. So we have to recognize that we are an early stage of where we are. Now, in term, you've kind of partly answered the question already that were we were, what's happened with the kind of proto metaverse at the moment? We've got you know Decentraland and Sandbox and all the massive. I mean, we probably lots of people miss the power of multi online games. It's a massive area. The, the amount of innovation that goes on in that space is incredible. The experiences, but all the colliding so far. So if you invest in your assets, then. Um, you know, the stuck stuck there in the way that if people have invested in Facebook and Facebook's slightly going down, you can't move this asset anywhere. So Web3 gives us more portability that we can have an asset that we can move from place to place. Now, the other thing is that, you know, um, we've got to be careful. We've got to learn our lessons from the fantastic world that Web2 gave, but all the downside of it, the fact that all the sort of value is hung by a small number of people. Now, we have to kind of work this out because, as you say, actually a lot of the, the current sort of proto-metaverses are actually Web2 platforms. Mm-hmm. And what we want is a fair and more equitable approach. So um, when I'm speaking to brands now um, about, for example, metaverse, people making making the decision. Some people will create um, their own worlds um, because they've got the space. Other people who exist in the worlds there are. 
And what we want in the new way this new world comes about, we can ask the question of should they be actually created in a decentralized, you know, talk about DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, mm -hmm. should they rightly be created in this space? Um, and I'll refer to, we, I saw um, the Chief Marketing Officer of Lego talking about what they're doing with um, um, uh, Lego and, and the importance of play and saying that, for example, Web2 World wasn't really designed for kids. Mm. And therefore, we've got the opportunity now to where we shape the metaverse for a place which is a safer, more equitable, um, and, post and more increasingly fun um, place that can actually be. So it, it, we're... we're I'm, saying, I'm not saying the answer is there. I'm saying Web3 gives us a tool to build the metaverse in a way that we want it to be, learn the lessons of Web2, um, so it's a safer safer space. I mean, it's human society. So, you know, things that people like, the things that people like, they will do um, without getting into the <laughs> X-rated conversations. Absolutely. Let's move on. Yeah. Good, good answer, though. <laughs> I think it's pretty obvious. You're a, you, you feel the metaverse a positive thing. Right, it's a positive force. Society, business, brands, ROI, etc. I noticed. I think one of your colleagues coined a phrase that I really liked, which is called the regretiverse. Which yeah. I thought was. So, tell me more about the regretiverse. What's that about? Yeah, trying to quickly remind myself of the regretiverse. Oh, yeah, the regretiverse is the fact that um, um, when people look back at what happened with two, many brands actually missed the chance to get in there, and other people formulated the approach. So, so what people are now saying is let's 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 grasp the chance now we've got if you're a brand and shape your brand in the in the in the metaverse uh, now so it's effectively saying see the opportunity of this you know don't stand on the sidelines and say oh it's terrible it's it's not for me it's going to be a horrible place get involved work out the use case and see how you can deliver new experiences um, um for your consumers and clients so the regretiverse is really sort of call to arms that to actually see the opportunity to make it what it is. I'm all, I'm all, I'm all, all I'm, all, I, I'm a kind of half full sort of person. Yeah. I think there's lots of things you can, you can do here, and if you don't do it, somebody else might come along and do the bad things. So, um, you know, if you want to find a new way of engaging with clients, or you know, using, I mean, let's think of an example. Um, I borrowed this example some before. You've seen the Willy Wonka thing, you know, mm -hmm. where, where, where they go into the village and they pick fruits and they're eating apples and they're all sweets and everything you could you can do that in the metaverse because there's no rules you know there's no um the, you know, things can float things can fly you can do anything you like now what i think is really interesting in the world piece is how you then move over from the digital to the physical world mm -hmm. sure. so in, in the metaverse is the things you can do there have an implication in back in the physical world. And it's the idea of, it's a bit like digital twins, that you can do things. So if you created this thing in this Willy Wonka world where you can create these things, could you actually create the drink or the food that you created in the digital world and the physical world? So, so one of the things really interesting is about bridging. How do we connect the metaverse into the physical? And that takes me all the way back to the beginning when I talked about, about connectivity and sensors, et cetera, is what's really important. So rather than just this, metaverse being a, a separate space you can connect it and make it relevant into um uh in into the physical world as well and that's what brands brands can potentially do is use it a way of driving new experiences which drive back into the physical products they might be selling okay so it you know there's a recession or you know it's coming or it's already yeah. here you know let's be, be be honest you know everyone would, would think of the same thing 
So if I'm if I'm if I'm a um I'm working in a business and I'm looking at a variety of things and what to do for 2023, um, and I'm a CMO, for instance. And now the CFO in a in a bear market, CFO always takes mm. expense in lots of businesses. What's what's the what's the how do I sell that in? So I need to know what the ROI is. You know, I'm a marketing director. I need to talk to my CFO and say, no, we should be playing in this space because. So how do you make that business case? That's the that's the key question for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think one of the things to do is there will be there is effectively new business models. So all the time we've been doing, you know, digital services. Actually, we, we, we do the technology, but a lot of the things is actually the business model went through it. So you know, the classic one being the platform business model, where uh, if you can attract more consumers, you can provide, you can attract more providers, yeah. and attract more providers and get consumers. And that's a classic web to Uber, Facebook, everybody works in that business model. In this web three, we've got new business models. So when you're looking at this, how can I have a new relationship with content providers? How can I have a new relationship with um, consumers? And I think we're still trying to work out. So I think, you know, if you're a CMO, or you can look and say, is there a new way I can get value here? So that's, that's one thing. Another thing is look about your relationship with your brand and, and your consumers. Um, and it does just give you a new trust. Now, if you're an incumbent business and you're operating quite effectively, so why would, why would I make a change when I've got it? But as you know, Roy, you've been around it. If you don't change, somebody will come along and take you out of the game. I mean, I think one of the most interesting you know, products is Airbnb. You know, Hilton Hotels will quite happily sit in there thinking, we're great, we've got loads of hotels. And along comes a company that didn't have any physical real estate and took their business so you can't rest on your laurels you've got to keep thinking about how to maintain that relationship of trust um i think i think the metaverse does um opposite new opportunities as new spaces so that will give you new uh, revenue opportunities to do and the best thing for that i think is experiment there isn't there isn't a, there isn't an answer yet you have to go out there and try things out I, i'm i'm also um, a great believer in get real Try it out. If you haven't been to Decentraland, for all it's a go there and have a try it out. You know, see what it's like. You know, connect with the people, younger people in your, your team are actually playing games and see what you can do. Um, so I think the, my recommendation is to experiment mm -hmm. um, and, and find out almost yourself what, what's going on. I will bring, I want to bring another thing in. The other thing that I talk, I talk about, increasingly as, as well as revenue one of the things we have to be aware of now is sustainability challenge and sure. many customers well as well as looking at the balance sheet they have to look at their esg goals um so i think one of the things with this is bizarrely even though people talk about web3 using lots of energy and blockchain certainly does um and some of these web3 technologies are energy it's also the great application for how we track carbon trading so there is also, I, I refer to it as the DAP of necessity. So DAP being the new phrase, decentralized app. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of the perfect use cases for this type of technology is how we manage and main, um, monitor sustainability in WSG. So alongside all the, how do we drive new business, new revenues, this is also technology about how you can satisfy and help in your ESG goals, which is a, you know, a board of directors conversation alongside how we grow the business. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's interesting. That's certainly, um, I mean, you probably you probably know as well. There's there's um, much as the the consumer facing side of what people hear about is 
crashes and highs and lows and you know mm. ai is going to kill us and so on um but you'll 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 know as well that um ethereum in in i think september when it merged brought down was it i think the, the stats were something like 99 percent less yeah is that right yeah. that's correct that's, I, I looked yesterday, and um, uh, it was from consensus, so that's one particular company. They reckon actually the achievement has been a 99.9% reduction in the CO2 emissions of Ethereum now operating in a proof-of-stake way. I, I mean, you've got to marvel, actually, just at the engineering. I mean, it's literally about trying to change an engine and a moving car from diesel to electric is what they've done on a massive scale. So as well as being great for the planet, that we, we're not using lots and lots of carbon it's an amazing engineering success and as you know we were discussing earlier that you know it's a shame with all the sort of bad publicity that that mm-hmm. um didn't get a bit more yeah. applaud for what, what a great success it was yeah just, that's just media isn't it though you know the, mm. the hype that's not today's story the story is you know um uh cryptocurrency rapscallion escapes to bahamas with 600 million quid yeah. um sbf and you know, the, the whole ftx um kind of uh, saga mm-hmm. but that's news isn't it it's today's news and that's you know clicks and it's it's media that's how it works I, there is a thing here that we still have to completely resolve trust and there are things and, and, and it goes back to the fact that this is still in the dial-up phase because once things are into the blockchain once things are on on in network we can trust them because we've got transparency we can see it but it's things at the edge that we're still going to work out. How do you know it's the right thing that was put in? And that why that's why our you know um, the FTX thing is we we couldn't quite see what was going on the edge. I'm sure when things which were inside, you know the the, the blockchain were, 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 you can see, but it's things on the edge, and that's one of the the challenges we still have to resolve in this trust argument is while there's still things going on that edge, how do we trust it? So but you've you've been in the in the game in different guises uh, for quite a while. You know, mm-hmm. so a seasoned pro. So how do you how do you keep your enthusiasm and half glass full of inspiration for all the new things that are still coming in? So I'm going to quote what somebody else's quote. I can't remember where I got this from, but one of the things I believe is I'm actually from the Harry Potter generation. Now, clearly, I'm not of an age where I was reading the books when I was 12. But actually, what it is is about is people who can believe in magic. You know, I can believe in a person who can fly, um, you know, a, a broomstick. So I think what you could do is see the opportunity and positivity in the new technologies. And, and you, you're, Roy, you're the same. You're always looking around the corner to see how can I bring delight um, in, in the way that we build out products and services for clients by using the best of the new technologies to help people. Wow, that's cool. And I think while, while that's cool, it doesn't just mean money. Yeah. And people out there uh, um, doing that, um, you know, bring a new feature. And it definitely gets you out of the bed in the morning. You think, oh, this is going to be exciting. And when we can get that to work. And I love it when, you know, I've got things this morning, you know, somebody tells me that they've been able to do something else in the 3D simulated space with drones. You know, mm-hmm. it's really interesting. And if there are people out there like me and you doing that, it gives ideas to help marry with people, perhaps with more slightly more straightforward business brain, that we can actually achieve something really interesting. And 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 as I say, deliver delight to customers is ultimately what I think it's about. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely exciting at the moment. There's so many, you know, so many interesting things to delve into. We haven't even touched on generative AI and yeah. synthetic media, and there's a whole bunch of stuff I'm sure we can follow up on. Um, yeah. Okay, so like, last question then, Martin. So in a nutshell then, um, what should brands do and businesses do at this point to get involved in this whole new space? What should they do first? It's the same message we've been saying for a while, that, that data is really, really important to, to deliver to positive outcomes to consumers. 
on all I would say at the moment is let's just ask the question again about whose data is it and make sure the people who create the data use the data, be it content, consumer preferences, are rewarded and have ownership of that data. And we create a more equitable place where we grow the pie bigger from all being involved rather than just small numbers of large organizations taking on the wealth. Great. Good answer. Great stuff. Martin, that's been a pleasure, sir. Much appreciated. Great to see your enthusiasm for all the new things coming in, doing great work over at Cambridge Consultants. Uh, where can people see you online if they want to um, find out more? Um, so they can um, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm quite often posting there as LinkedIn. You can see some of my blogs on cambridgeconsultants.com website. Um, yeah, that's probably the main places to me. Or just give me a, an email, martin.cooksen at cambridgeconsultants.com. Great stuff. I'll stick some uh, some of those links into the notes as well. Great stuff. Thanks again, Martin. Brilliant to chat to you. And I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Great job, Roy. Excellent friend. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations Worth Millions with me, Roy Murphy, founder of digital innovation agency Synthetic. We work with brands on strategy, innovation and design sprints, MVPs and prototypes, all the way to full transformation projects. And we do that on the web, in apps, and on Web3. We love talking about chatbots, AI, the metaverse, and how emerging tech can drive business for you. You can find us over at syntheticagency.co. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations Worth Millions, brought to you by SyntheticAgency.co. Synthetic are digital innovation experts working with brands on MVPs, prototypes, Web3, and all good digital things. I'm Roy Murphy, SyntheticAgency.co, and your podcast host on Conversations Worth Millions.